This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, welcome into the Stinky Truth Podcast. Alongside Mike Evans, I am Mark Schlereth, Millennial Ben, producing the show. Want to thank our presenting sponsor, great folks over at Superbook for America's Best Bet. Check them out at Superbook.com. Also, Stinking Good Green Chili. Find out more, the queso dip, everything at Stinking Good. Dot com. All right, Mike, what do you think, buddy? How's it going? Well, I'm I'm good. I'm here's where I need your help right off the bat. Okay. What are what am I, what are we supposed to make of these young quarterbacks who at times really flashed in their preseason debuts? The Mac Jones, the Justin Fields, even a little bit of Trey Lance. What are, what are we to make of that? Put it all into context. What's real? What's not? Yeah, I I mean I think I think if you go through just go through life in general. Just go through the preseason, what we know about the preseason. There have been two teams over the course of history that uh, have gone 0-16 in the regular season. It was the 2008 Detroit Lions and the 2017 Cleveland Browns. Do you know both of those teams were undefeated in the preseason and then went on to drop all 16 games? I mean, that's hard to do. So the preseason is a little hocus pocus. It's a little uh you know it's a, it's a, it's not it's not real. What I always say is they don't count but they do matter. And it matters how you go out like physically and execute. How you impose your will upon a team. Those are the things that I think matter the most. How you execute your techniques and all those different things. I think what you have to understand is what you get in the preseason. All right, you get very vanilla because nobody wants to tip their hand of what they're trying to accomplish from a schematic standpoint. So that's one. Two, as a young quarterback, what you see is what you get. So if I'm pre-snap and I walk up the line of scrimmage and I see a defensive structure that says, hey, man, they're playing three deep, four under. I know where to go with the football. And even if you play play action – and and show the fake and the back the front runs the fake and you flip your head back around you turn your back to the D you flip it back around they're still in that structure, right? Maybe they're playing four deep three under, whatever they're playing. Maybe they're playing five across in a in, in a two man situation, right? But it it doesn't matter what you see is what you get in the preseason. Come regular season, what you see is never ever what you get, never. And so what they're trying to do is bait you. The other thing is, is nobody's game planning you. So when you get some tape out there, what teams do is they say, okay, what are this guy's strengths? What are this guy's weaknesses? Let's make sure through our structure and through our game plan, we take away his strengths and make him play to his weaknesses. The New England Patriots have a great term for it. They say, when we game plan, we want you to play left-handed. Yeah, have you ever tried to write a paper with your left hand or wipe your butt with your left hand? 
I mean, <laughs> right? It, Unless you're left-handed, right? And then all of you out there try with your right hand, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's not a, it's not easy. And so you know, the, the the league is littered with guys who lit it up in the preseason who don't make football teams. So I think I think you take everything um, at face value and with a grain of salt. It's good that your young guy played well because this will be the easiest structure he ever sees. And and so I hope he plays well in these in these structures in preseason. All right, nonetheless, we we know these guys are going to play sooner rather than later. So when you look at the veteran quarterbacks who at least for now have the starting job, how long do they hold it? Let's say you had to rank them and I'm I'm thinking specifically Cam Newton in New England trying to hold off Mac Jones, Andy Dalton in Chicago with Justin Fields. Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco with with Trey Lance. If if you had to guess, who loses their job first? Who loses their job last? Rank them like one to th- Ooh, one to three in that's... terms of who loses their job first. All right. So if I was like if I was a gambling man, uh, one to three. So three, I think would be Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, he'll I, hold on to it the longest. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. One, he's playing great in training camp. Two, um, the dude can flat out spin it. Three, I think Trey Lance has got a ways to go yet. Um, that guy, those were the first snaps he took in a football game, like in five hundred days mm-hmm. or something. I mean, something crazy like that. There's no question about his talent. His talent is through the roof, and talent will get you an opportunity, and that's about where it ends. You've got to, you know, you got to be able to execute. You got to understand what you're trying to accomplish and all those things. And and there's a lot. Now, trust me. You watch what San Francisco does with Trey Lance as they continue to groom him. They've got a whole nother adjunct running game to what they already do, and they are already, to me, one of the most complex, one of the most dedicated teams to running the football in all of the National Football League, and it, it and it goes without question. You know, everybody sits there and says, hey, their structure is wide zone, and everything structure-wise is off their wide zone play, right, off their zone running game. But they complement it with a million different things, and they all look the same. They are, they are so in-depth when it comes to running the football. So I would say that's number three. Number two... I would say is Andy Dalton and Justin Fields. Uh, I Interesting, think, considering Fields had the most buzzworthy debut of all the rookie quarterbacks, and I think, and I think eventually Fields has the chance to be to be the guy, like to be really good. Um, I just I think that when you operate in a college system, that you know you're standing in shotgun and you're clapping your hands and you're not directing traffic and you're not at the line of scrimmage and you're not doing all those things, there's just a lot of building blocks that aren't in place for you based upon the way you played college football. Um, From calling a huddle to understanding blitz pickup to understanding where you're protected, where you're not, where everybody on the football field is, um, you know, getting through progressions, just cadence in general. Um, And I talked to coaches in Chicago who said when he first came in, man, Guys never really operated that way, right? They love him, by the way. Chicago loves him. Humble, hardworking, exactly what you want. Um, also said, man, just from the, the pure cadence standpoint, is way behind the eight ball because he was never asked to do it. 
And you know this. I mean, I was at practice for the Broncos the other day. And while the defense is having a period and the scout team is going against the defense, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, a veteran quarterback, is talking to his receivers and kind of you know going over things. Drew Locke's on the opposite field with one coach and one guy catching a football, and he's working off footwork because he played in shotgun the whole time. And it's not only shotgun. If you look at their first preseason game in Denver, Drew Locke was under center all but maybe three plays because they need his footwork. In the West Coast offense, they say, throw it with your feet, meaning the timing of your feet leads you to completions and accuracy um, from route combination standpoint. So they want you to, quote, unquote, throw it with your feet. And, you know, I've talked to a ton of quarterbacks about this. Like Matt Ryan in, in Atlanta is considered kind of the godfather of footwork and shotgun. And he and Kyle Shanahan kind of developed it together. So even in shotgun, it's a three-step drop. You know, Matt would be like, hey, man, I'm taking the three tiniest steps you've ever seen in your entire life. But I want it to time up with the route combination because I need to be on time. If I'm on time, I'm going to be accurate. If I'm late, I'm always going to be off a little bit. And so that's his kind of that's his kind of thought process. And so they're working with Drew Locke on the side. When you come out of an offense like that, going back to Justin Fields, I just think it takes time. And um and and so that's why I think he'll be second. I think that I think the first guy to replace will be Mac Jones. Hmm, uh, interesting. And and because Belichick has been really, you know, effusive in his praise for Cam Newton, everything he's done as a as a as a team leader, his work ethic, brought him back on a one year yeah. deal, has been steadfast in saying he's he's my guy. I understand that. And and that all may be true. I, I just, I think Cam Newton played like there's a there's a million and di- there's a million different reasons. You know, he got COVID. He wasn't right. He's coming off of two or three straight years of injuries. I mean, he was injured in 2008, 2019, 2020. He missed time with COVID and everything else. I just, I just don't think Cam is right. Health-wise, injury-wise, everything. I think there are so many things, there's so many limitations to his game, based on, you know, losing some athleticism, being hurt. He's he he just didn't. You know, I've talked to Michael Vick about this directly. Like, I just relied on my body because I always was able to rely on my body, and then you get to a point where your body you can't rely on it anymore, and you haven't developed from the neck up the way you needed to develop from the neck up. And, you know, and, and I'm not saying that Cam hasn't done that because he's done a lot. He did it in 2018 under North Turner. He was incredible for about six, seven games. Um, but, again, I, I think it's hard to get out of the default mechanism being from the neck down. Let me go make a play with my body. And – Listen, you you may survive a week or two weeks or three weeks, but when you get older and you're playing that way, you know, when you're younger, you bounce back and you're like, ah, I'm fine. And when you're older, your body just goes, hey, man, uh, up yours. I'm not doing this anymore. And so I I just, I don't feel like he's fully made that transition, and I don't think he's going to stay healthy enough. Um, You know, and he might not miss games, but I just don't think he's going to be healthy enough. Therefore, he won't be productive enough to hold on to that starting job. You know, you mentioned the the Broncos situation, unique from the standpoint that 
they're the only team that's having an out-and-out quarterback competition. 50-50, as Vic Fangio, the head right. coach, calls it. Uh, that that one has been interesting to follow here because – you get you get kind of what everybody else what everyone sees you know what you saw during the preseason opener Drew Locke looked really good and then there's well what's going on behind the scenes you know what's going on at practice what's going on that makes up the whole evaluation process that maybe makes you know those of us who didn't play the game maybe we're not looking at it in its totality the right. way that we should yeah, you know what we see? We see big touchdown passes. We see, you know, we see a preseason game where the Broncos blow up Minnesota Vikings and Drew Locke throws an 80-yarder to K.J. Hamler. And, um, and you know, and you're like, oh, what a great ball. What an unbelievable throw. You know, how many yards in the air was it? And K.J. Hamler ran by everybody. Listen, everybody in the NFL, anybody who plays quarterback in the NFL can make that throw. Your, your backup quarterback could make that throw. Um, it's a pretty easy throw. Now, I'm not, I'm not taking away from Drew Locke executing it because – what he saw in play action, he's you know he's got a what six seven man protection off a of play action run. I think it was off a of power play. Um, he got quarters right off the bat. He saw it two two single high safeties in the middle of the field. Heels at about twelve feet. Fakes that handoff. Turns his back to the defense. The safeties just climb right, and ultimately KJ Hamler speed kills runs right by a corner who's expecting a safety to be, you know, deeper than the deepest, right? But the safeties both both suck up. So what they call that in, in quarters coverage, just so people know, if you have two receivers on that side, two receivers to a side, they run a lot of, like, pin and post type of stuff, right? So smash, something shorter, something about 12 to 14 yards, a basic, a dig, whatever – and they, what they're trying to do is hold up that safety in the middle of the field and run the post behind it, right? That's what they're trying to get accomplished. So you are on a one single receiver side. So there is nobody to to run a smash or occupy the eyes or, you know, it's like a, a rat and throwing some cheese out there, right? There, there's no cheese to bait the rat. So why is the rat like full run support on a crappy fake. Well, they were running the snot out of the ball, and he got fooled, right? But he had no receiver to hold him up. And then and the corner, like if if you know you've got a, you know, a two-man formation, a one and a two out there in a passing formation, you know as a corner now, what are you thinking? You're saying, hey, man, i got to stay on top of this receiver regardless because my safety help may get eaten up. So if I get a vertical on a two-man side, Man, I I gotta match that. I gotta match that vertical, and I gotta run with it. I gotta stay on top of it. Um, of course, that corner, I think his name was Danzler, was just like, Who? <laughs> right? He took and, the hook, right? And the safety <laughs> was like, Who? <laughs> and Hammer said, uh, "See ya. Yeah. Wouldn't want to be ya. You know that uh, he could flat run. But what you saw is exactly what you got. Um, I think it comes more down to." How's your footwork? How's your timing with route combinations? How quickly do you get the ball out of your hand? And and how do you how quickly do you get through progressions? Like how quickly do you see it and know where your where your you know third or fourth guy is? Like can you look at it right off the bat and go, this is no good against this coverage. Let me get back to you know. Can you look at it and say, hey man, they're playing. 
They're playing, you know, four under, three over the top. I know that I've got a wide open, you know, a spot route wide open between the two hook droppers, and I'm going to dump it all. I'm, I'm getting off this right now. I'm dumping it to the to that area, right? Because I know it's wide open. I know it's a first down. And, and so how quickly do you process that stuff and – and get it to the right guy. Those are the nuanced things that we don't sit there as, as we're watching on television, any of these preseason. We don't have a script. We're not getting to see it. Like one of the, the touchdown pass that Justin Fields threw was off a of play action boot keep stop game where they throw what they call a leak. So they show, they show handoff, you know, one way, boot action the other way. All the receivers flood to the right side of the field. Tight end blocks, 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 then sneaks out and leaks out the backside. Nobody covers him, and Justin Fields throws a touchdown. And everybody's like, oh, Justin. Well, come on. You, know, you and I could throw that, right? Mm -hmm. We could. Now, we may not be able. I, I wouldn't be able to boot out and scramble, right? I would have gotten caught from, you know, one of my offensive linemen would have stepped on me. Um, I, I'd have been awful. But you know what I'm saying. Anybody can complete that ball. It's great design. So are we giving, are we giving Matt Nagy credit for great design? Right? Or are we saying Justin Fields is going to be the next? Like, he, he had a one-on-one -on, -one on the outside. He threw a back shoulder fade that was incredible. Great catch by the receiver. But, again, I saw the defense. I knew exactly what they were in. They showed me single high, and they never got out of it. And I know I'm getting a pattern match on the outside. So, I, I can make that throw. I, it just is, is another one of those things where you just have to be careful in your evaluation process and understand the coaches are seeing – stuff that we as fans number one we can't see because we don't know it number two the nuances uh, the nuance of coaching is what are you executing what i'm asking you to execute and then i i guess lastly to me would be you know we're not sitting there with a script so we're we're not a hundred percent sure where everything is supposed to go so uh the tim tebow experiment mm -hmm. ended with a thud right. i mean you had people who said, oh, not only will he make the team, uh, th this guy will be able to adjust. He's never, you know, played tight end, but he's such a great athlete. He's such a great worker. He'll figure it out. Urban Meyer, who is like a, a father to him, will keep right. him around because, you know, he's such a great presence in the locker room. I mean, you had people who were, you know, taking bets that, you know, he would, he would catch and throw a touchdown this season. All those things. He didn't even make it past the first wave of cuts. Were you surprised? Maybe not so much that he got cut, but that he got cut so quickly. Um, no, I, I'm. I, I guess I'm. I'm not surprised because, as, as I tell you all the time, man, moving a man from point A to point B against his will is one of the hardest things to do in in football. The technique involved in blocking people. One, it's it's you know, I like to think of it as an acquired taste. It's it's hard to do, right? It's hard to put your nose in there. It's different when you're running with a ball, and you're like trying to avoid people. You're trying to run somebody over. You try to, you know, they're not quite ready for the tackle, and you put your foot down, same foot, same shoulder, and drive through a guy. You know, blocking is not that way because it's kind of controlled chaos, right? You've got to actually have the right fit. You got to hit a guy. You got to be able to strike him, right? You got to be in the right position not to get thrown by or not to get, you know, olayed or whatever. 
Uh, and so it's it's a hard thing to accomplish. It's a skill like any other skill. And people always come up to me and coaches and, and some of the teams I consult for are like, oh, we'd really like to get, you know, better at running the ball. I'm like, hey, no crap, Sherlock. Like, yeah, of course you would. But what are you willing to do? What what commitment are you willing to make? Right? How How committed are your guys? Like, running the ball is a total team mentality, mindset, and... And it starts, you know, obviously that's what your O-line does. It, it, You know, that's what your tight ends are supposed to do. That's what your fullbacks are supposed to do. They're supposed to be able to do that. But you got to – are your receivers on board? You want to go from an average run team to a great run team? Like, don't let your receivers play football unless they're willing to do the dirty work. And those are, and those are things, man, that becomes – like, that becomes infectious. The whole team gets infected with that mentality. And that's what it takes to run the ball. And there are so many coaches in this league, they can't wait for the run game to fail. They cannot wait for the run game to fail. So you know what? They can show some 80-year-old owner how great they are at developing a quarterback, and then they get to be a head coach. That's the way it goes. I think from a credibility standpoint, Urban needed to do this. He has made, I mean, from the hiring of the the coach, I think it was from Iowa that, you know, had some some issues in his background, some racial slurs, I believe, and he had to fire that guy, to even coming out and saying, wow, the competition, I'm not sure, you know, who's going to win this competition. Um, So, like, come on, you, you drafted Trevor Lawrence number one overall. He's, he's going to win the quarterback competition. So let's, you know, pump the brakes on that, so to speak. So all you know, all these things. I just think from a, I just think from a credibility standpoint, he needed to get that done. So, like, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that Tim Tebow, at 34 years old, in you know a couple of weeks, couldn't learn to block people appropriately, based on these guys have been doing this since they were 12, right? I mean, it's. It's a skill. And for those who want to say, like, he got cut because he's a Christian, shut your mouth. Oh, God, no. No, your, no, 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 That was no, all no. over the internet really? yesterday. Oh, yeah. He got cut because of his faith. Uh, I would argue he got a chance because of his faith. Yeah. I, you know what? I think that's a great point. He got a chance because of who he is and what he's done. And what he stands but, for. But yeah. stop with uh, he'll outwork anybody. Everybody who makes it is busting their ass. No, it, like he's not outworking people. He didn't get cut because of his faith. He got cut because he wasn't good at football. That's the only reason. If he was good at doing those things, he'd still be there. He would be, he'd be, but he wasn't. And I'm, I'm not surprised that he wasn't because Mike, it's hard. Football is hard. And that's why he got cut. Well, speaking of a quarterback whose uh, future is a lot more solid, Josh Allen got paid. Are you convinced? I mean, is this guy a sure thing? I mean, is he, like, nestled up just behind a Patrick Mahomes when it comes to can't-miss superstars of the future? Um, yeah, I think there's a couple. I think there's a couple things, Mike. I think, one, the guy— talent-wise, is incredible. 
just inc- he's got incredible arm talent. Um, I don't know that he is on par just from an understanding or or that level, even though he's exceptionally smart um, or manipulative or dictating coverage type, like Mahomes can do occasionally where we see him just, you know, marvelous or off-schedule stuff. Like off-schedule running, Josh Allen's a threat. He's a big, I mean, the guy's six foot five and probably 240. I mean, he's a huge threat. But, um, that dude's got so much freaking arm talent that he can be late on anything. Um, he and like he and Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs is never exactly where he's supposed to be, and their ability to connect and and still, you know, drive the him driving the ball and them getting first downs. They, they're pretty. They're pretty special that way. But I tell you what, he is such a perfect fit, right? He's embraced being in Buffalo. He loves it. He's part of that community. Um, I, I, they, they couldn't have spent money on a better investment than that kid in that environment and what he brings to the Buffalo Bills. I think it's a great move. So Josh Allen trying to reach that unicorn level, yeah. a level that Drew Brees was at for a long, long time. Saints and your buddy Sean Payton getting a little taste of what the other side looks like, life without Brees, as they're trying to figure out Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. Yeah, you know what's what's interesting about that is that um, Taysom Hill, like I know that Sean has said forever, and you know Sean and I are buddies, and and I've talked to him a bunch, but I haven't talked to him necessarily about this. But he said forever that hey, don't sleep on this Taysom Hill kid. This kid is this kid can be a quarterback. Like this kid is legit, and he's right. I mean, you know that's Sean's opinion. He's not lying about that. But Taysom Hill from just a pure mismatch, just his ability to do so many multiple things, I think his value is greater at this point in his career at being the Swiss Army knife than it is being the quarterback. Because when you start breaking them down, I mean – Taysom Hill will play, he'll play the Y tight end, he'll play the F tight end, he'll play the slot receiver, the F slot receiver. Um, the F guy can, you know, depending on the personnel group you're in, the F can be a slot, the F can be a tight end, you know, the F can be the fullback. It depends on your on, you know, how you operate and what personnel group you're in. But he could play legit fullback, legit F wide receiver, F backup tight end. He can play the RB, the running back. He can play your backup. He can play your quarterback position, um, like he he could play X or Z. Like the guy is the guy is the ultimate Swiss Army knife. So when you put him in, there's panic on the defensive side from a structure standpoint. What is he playing? Where is he? Where is he lining up? And I think this is the, I think this to me is where his his greatest value lies. And because he still has growth at the quarterback position, I think that Jameis wins that that competition. Yeah, because unless you're convinced he's going to be a really, really good, borderline great quarterback, I think I'd rather just be able to use his versatility in the way that you just yeah. laid out. Yeah. You know? And I think that's I think that's ultimately the direction they'll go in, unless he just has this, 
next level right. growth, right. which, you know, frankly, I just don't see that yet in his career. It may happen, but I don't see it yet. Last topic, kind of a little lightning round here at the end. Jamal Adams becomes the highest paid safety in the NFL. Had to figure that deal was going to get worked out. Seattle couldn't give up all that they gave up and not work it out. Is he the best? Is he the best of the best? And what makes him the best of the best? Well, like, I think that that Jamal sometimes gets, you know, duped in coverage a little bit, um, gets out of position a little bit. And from a coverage standpoint, a lot of it is because he's so freaking aggressive. Um, that dude is a football playing Jesse, man. That dude can flat out play. And I, I've talked to Pete Carroll about it. He's like, yeah, he, he makes some mistakes. You know, we'll live with the mistakes because the other crap he does is like, whoa. And here's a guy that affects the game. Like, when you break the huddle, you got to find that dude. Where is that dude? We got to find him. And how are they using him? And how are they using him? And what is he playing? Because, man, he's a a legit on-the-line-of-scrimmage pass rusher. He's a legit kind of behind-the-line-of-scrimmage linebacker. Nickel guy, safety. He does it all, but he's such an impact player and sto- and just so incredibly instinctual that he's just one of those guys that um, I- I'm telling you, you, you always have to be aware. So, like, whatever he lacks sometimes in coverage or the mistakes he makes, he'll make up for it tenfold in the impact plays he makes, and he makes a ton of them. Well, week two of the preseason coming up and a whole new bunch of storylines emerging from from them. Ah, it's going to be great, Mike. Always good to be with you. All right, well, that does it for us. For Mike, myself, for Millennial Ben, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to the great folks over at Superbook, America's Best Bet. Check them out, superbook.com. Also, stinkinggood.com. You want to order green chili? You want to order the queso dip? Check it out at stinkinggood.com.